and welcome to Medicine in the Kitchen, where we empower you with simple solutions to everyday health concerns. Welcome back to Medicine in the Kitchen, episode 16. Once again, I'm Hyasun. And I'm Felicia, and we're your guides to empowered health. Today, we're finally talking about one of our favorite roots, ginger. I'm so excited, finally got to it. It took us forever, but we're here. (laughs) we've talked about it enough in all of our podcasts I feel like but now we're I'm sure we have yeah because it's so it's so useful and it's like I feel like it's like a pretty simple simple herb and it's so easy to like put into so many different things and it has many benefits it could really be used I think for every system I think so too I mean, why else would we bring it up in every single episode? Yeah, exactly. There's the respiratory system. There's the digestive system that it's good for. Yeah. The nervous system in terms of like pain and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The skin. Really? The skin too? Well, I feel like inflammation wise, you can make it work for the skin. Okay. Yeah. No, I can see that. Anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Which, am I missing systems? I feel like I'm missing systems. Oh, the... I mean... The renal, the kidney. Mm-hmm. I feel like... What about reproductive? Well, if we consider cramps, menstrual cramps as part of yeah. the system. So that would help there. Yeah, no, I can't think of anything else. I think you covered everything. Yeah, I think I think that's all the systems. The immune system... Oh, yes, I totally forgot that one. (laughs) That's an important one. I think I just, I figured, you know, yeah, the immune system, that's the main one, of course. Next. (laughs) I know, the obvious ones are always the ones you end up forgetting, because you're thinking so hard about, like, the not obvious ones. Or sometimes you assume, like, I hate assuming, but sometimes you assume, like, yeah, everybody knows this, duh. Let's find out the rest. Yeah, yeah, that's true, too, because, like, just because you know it doesn't mean everybody knows it. Exactly. Okay, so like, I guess a little information about the ginger is it is a rhizome herb, is rootstock, and it branches out into smaller arms about two inches in circumference, and each piece is called a hand. Its botanical name, now correct me if I'm wrong, is Zingheber officiale? Yeah. I always say Zinger yeah. officinalis, but I feel like you have a nicer oh. accent on it. Listen, when it came to Latin words in school, I just like, okay, it sounds kind of Spanish-y. Let's go with it. <laughs> I like it. That's um, how I usually got it. I was like, okay, done, moving on. I feel like that's the one that's most commonly used is the Zinger officinalis. That's the one most people know. Mm-hmm. But if we go into wild ginger, that's a different species. I thought so. That's why I left wild ginger to you. I was like, no, no, no. This is Felicia's, like, specialty. (laughs) I love wild ginger. It's actually, so I was looking into it, and I actually didn't know the name of the species. I knew it was a different species because it looks different. Um, But I didn't know the name of it, so I looked into it. And the... The Latin name is Asarum canadense, so that's the one that actually is native to Canada. Um, huh. And it's also known as snake root. 
snake root. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like herbalists gave like weird names to things and like how many times have you heard someone be like like snake oil is like a fake thing, but like when they're naming things like ginger or snake root, I'm like, yeah, that's that's probably why they're like this powerful snake root. And I think they probably yeah. called it that just because it looks like like how you were just the striations. Yeah. The the ginger root underneath it kind of looks like a snake. I mean, um the other day I went somewhere and I was looking for a powder. I know I'm saying it this wrong because the man at the store tra- said it differently, but he never corrected me. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll see if you say it again. I'll try to pick up if I say it right. Meti. So it's um, actually, I think it was like, uh, what was it? Oh my God. Uh, hold on, I'm going to have to look it up now. Fenugreek. Okay, I was getting it right. Okay. So I was looking for like meti powder all over the place. And I was like, okay, I can't find it. I don't know where else to go. I got this recipe from like an Indian cuisine. Let's go to the Indian store. And I get there and um, I asked the gentleman from Meti. He gives me the powder at the bottom of the powder says fenugreek powder. I was like, <laughs> I went so many places they had fenugreek powder and I walked right past it because, you know, it wasn't Meti. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, but that totally... That totally happens. That's why I like, I get the Latin naming of things and like everyone learning the same name of it. Because mm-hmm. that kind of helps with like communication. But yeah, when you go into like the Chinese herbs or like, like the traditional things that they use the traditional names, it's like, yeah, you're at a loss if you don't know the language. Yeah, and even like sometimes people who know the language don't often associate it because like the first lady at the holistic store was also Indian and she told me to go to an Indian store as well when I started mentioning some of the ingredients they have fenugreek Mm. so I don't know if like the two of them didn't connect in her head similarly how some of the times when I talk about certain roots like when I talked about the pescovita and you gave me the other name for it which I don't remember at the moment but like you knew what herb and you knew of its properties so I was like no we don't have it here it's native down there why would you guys have it up here oh which one was that again uh the pescovite I forget what it is in um English Uh, mimosa the new flora? Oh, the the mimosa flower? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm used to its native name from my home, but if I saw it in the store here, I uh, would just walk by it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's true. My When we were learning Chinese medicine, my friend and I went to... Chinatown in Toronto to try and find Chinese herbs, but we got to the store and we're like, wait, we don't know what anything is. <laughs> yeah, you have to translate the name to Mandarin, and then if somebody will help you, that's great. If not, good luck reading the symbols if you can't read it. Yeah, exactly. 
I think I recognize like one kanji at all times and I'm just like yeah that's the one mm-hmm. don't ask me what it stands for but I, I just recognize them like yeah um oh but did you know that it is believed that the name came from the Sanskrit for sinagre which means horn shape oh yeah I, know I saw that I was like oh interesting mm-hmm Horn shape. I just that looks like a horn. I, I mm-hmm. that. yeah. I was like, okay. I like. I you know when I was reading things, uh, I originally thought it was just uh, Latin name. I was like, I don't know what it means, but sure, let's go with it. And then it, they showed up, and I was like, oh, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it helps you remember the names more easily too. Yeah, it makes sense. exactly. So like the you know the ginger is ready to be harvested when the leaves dry and only the stem and the root fibers are ready so you just take them out wash it let it dry in the sun and it's good to go we all generally know that ginger has um pale yellow color in the flesh and the thin uh, skin that can be even brownish to off-white in color and like we're talking about the whole snake thing it has straight a texture on on the skin so it's easy to be like oh what was it snake root Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see it. I can see it. Snakes generally have that striated pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And the wild ginger too, I find is a bit thinner and like more, a little bit more tubular than, than the gingerbread. So it kind of, I feel like it looks like a snake more than mm-hmm. a horn. Yeah. Okay. It's probably thinner too, right? Yeah. <laughs> At least the the one that I found. Okay. Because I was looking at things and it said that a Jamaican ginger is considered to be like the best because mm-hmm. it has a nice color to it and it's buff. So it's like a really thick horn, I guess. And while compared to the African and Indian ginger, it has a darker skin and it lacks a brighter color in the flesh and it's also a little bit thinner. I don't know why, but that's what it said. It's up for Kenyan ginger. Apparently, that one, the flesh comes in the yellowish, white, or red tone. Which ginger was that? Kenyan ginger. Kenyan ginger. Yeah. Interesting. I was like, oh. So cool how there's, like, different variations of it in every country. And we talked about how it's so useful for so many things that it's, like, yeah, nature was just like, this is a really useful herb, so we're going to let it grow everywhere. I, I actually have history about that, but I'm waiting for that for the culinary. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're always and, a bit of a knowing the history of these things. I'm not. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. For me, it helps having a little bit of extra information when I'm learning something. So it's not just like, oh, I'm back in school. I'm reading this, it's putting me to sleep. It's like, oh, look, there's something fun that might trigger my memory a bit more versus just, you know, facts. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I work, and that's what helped me study a bit better. Yeah, I like it. It's like telling a story. Mm-hmm. It's more fun, though, at least to me. Mm-hmm. And I hope other people find it interesting. Yeah. Yeah, let us know if you do or don't. I find it interesting. <laughs> Yay. So taste-wise, it's more frangin and pungent and slightly hot, depending, obviously, on the palate. 
at least relatively for the hot pot. I know that it is definitely pungent and fragrant. And according to traditional Chinese medicine, dried ginger is hotter than the fresh part. I don't know if it has to do with actually taking away the water or is it something else? Like that's that's more a you well, thing. I feel like when you dry any herb, it gets it get like stronger. it's stronger because you're because you're taking out the water so it's less diluted so okay. like, so it is just that nothing energy wise i don't think so no okay my a herb textbook did not give me anything else aside from you know that mm-hmm. so i was like okay maybe felicia would know yeah i feel like it's just stronger so it'd be like more heat Mm. And ginger can be found and sold as whole, the whole root, dried root, powdered version, the preserved versions, which are usually heavy in sugar, crystallized, which again is high in sugar, but tasty, or the pickles, so also known as gari. In you find it usually in your sushis, whether it's pink or white. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I didn't really think about the fact that it was pickled. It's like pickled ginger, but yeah, that makes sense. At first when I read it, I was like, why does it sound familiar, but at the same time sounds weird? And I was like, wait, I know what this is. It's Gotti. It's Gotti. But what, so what is the pink ginger? Like, is that? It's just dye. Okay. It's unfortunately just dye. People thought it would be cool, and so they put dye in it. Okay. Which, I mean, yes, it does stand out. It makes it look prettier. But if you're going to do that, at least for my you know, my sake. I don't like using artificial colors. I would be like, why don't you add it with hibiscus or throw in some beets? And that way it gives it the right color and something else. Yeah. Nutrients and color. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, again, our perspective in the health industry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the pink ginger is cool and pretty, but I, yeah, I'd rather... I'd rather not have food coloring in my ginger. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe we'll figure out how to pickle our own ginger and we can add it to it. Because yeah. I know I like pickled, I think it's turnips. You see them in shawarmas all the time. They're also pink. Okay. But then I found out that, yeah, the turnip is not pink or the liquid they use, you know, the vinegar. I thought it was just pink. I need trying to turn the thing pink. No, it's food dye. So I have my jar of pickled turnips, and I'm just like, I should eat that. And then I see the pink, and I was like, the pink. Mm. There's mm-hmm. actually um, a vegan restaurant in Hamilton called Planted, and they have pink pickles, but they actually use beet juice to make their pink pickles. Which is fun. That, that's the way it should be. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense to me. I mean, difference of opinion. Exactly. And I know a lot of vegans don't eat anything red or pink because it comes from an animal or a bug, technically. Oh, I didn't even think about Mm -hmm. really where food coloring comes from. My mom teaches a course on um, Spanish culture. And so one of the things that we talk about is what attracted Europeans to a certain native traditions and tools 
and one of them was the coloring and the pigments of the clothing and their paintings mm. and that's why like red became more popular in Europe and certain dyes became more popular because they were able to get it from the Americas and one of them is a little bug you kind of kill to get the red color Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, do they still use that bug, or do they now just make it in the lab? Both. Oh. They use a mix. Like apparently, the red for certain things will not take if it's not with the bug, and others the chemicals are not supposed to be like super healthy. So I think they mix them both to get the right color. Hmm. At least for food, because clothing and other stuff they can get by using artificial dyes and not really causing harm. Mm-hmm. But food-wise, it's a mix. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm learning lots of new things today. It's, this is the purpose of the podcast. So, you know, both of us learn a lot of stuff <laughs> and help others learn. It's true. I love it. So the medical use of ginger, like you said before, it's mainly for gastrointestinal distress, but it has other, well, a whole list of other things that it does. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's like, yeah, it's such a, it's such a magical herb. So it really I, is. I feel like most people are most familiar probably with the gastrointestinal stuff, especially yeah. nausea. Um, I feel like that's gained a lot of popularity. They even have the the natural gravel now in stores. Yeah. Just ginger. It's really just ginger? Yeah. Well, there's some sugar in it, too. Um, I thought they added um, something else, the diamond hydrate. Oh, maybe. I I was looking at a study. Oh, on the natural gravel? No, not on the natural gravel. It was about motion sickness. Mm-hmm. Now they they did it with a bunch of people. They gave uh, placebo. Another group got uh, Dramamine. And another person got like, well, group, not person. Another group got ginger. Mm-hmm. And they tested different, um, like whether it was uh, seasickness, airplane, mobile, train, or boat. And they put them like in a seat and spun them around until... They either said they can't handle it or they puked their guts out. Oh, lovely. I know. I was like, oh, yeah, sign me up for that experiment. (laughs) And uh, the people who had the ginger lasted about five minutes longer than the others. Ooh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was because, uh, like, the Dramamine or any drug that contains diamond hydrate focuses on the central nervous system, so stopping that signal going into your brain, you know, you're you're dizzy and you want to puke Mm -hmm. versus ginger that absorbs things in the gut system and neutralizes that hormone that's created in your GI and other toxins as well as the acidity. So it tackles multiple aspects of the nausea. Very cool. I think the natural gravel though, the, the new one that they make is the only active ingredient is ginger. Like they have like other additives in it, but the active ingredient is just ginger. Not bad. It's an improvement. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember, like, I feel like it was just ginger, sugar, and then maybe like a preservative, like citric acid or stearic acid or something like that. 
Like I remember okay. not being, I was like, wow, this is impressive. This is a, this is a gravel that I would take. I would happily prescribe this to people. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm. So yeah, I feel like it's becoming more well-known as like a digestion thing. And like in a lot of cultures too. Ginger tea is For like, sure. like a, a nice digestive tea. Um, yeah, so like if you wanted to have a simple ginger tea not from a bag or I don't know if anybody else ever bought the little Chinese packages where the ginger's like in a ball. So you pour it out in just little balls of like honey ginger and then you just add hot water. Mm. Have you ever had that? No. Okay, they're great, but they're a little pungent in taste versus grabbing a, your own ginger, cutting about an inch or two inches and a half, putting it in a, a cup of water, hot water, obviously. Let it sit for a little bit and works great whether you're pregnant or nauseous and it's just quick as well as if you are feeling cold or you think you're going to get a cold you do the same thing and it warps you up from the inside out because it is a diaphoretic mm -hmm. yeah those little packages they're great for travel because you can't really bring fresh ginger with you yeah that makes sense and you don't need a lot like if you put just a little bit add some water and you have one package that can last you the whole two weeks or one week of your trip. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that would definitely be helpful for travel. I usually mm. just bring like chews or something when I'm traveling. Like mm. chews. Oh, that's true. I do have some of the candies. Yeah, just because I find it's easier. You don't have to like worry about actually preparing a tea. But if you wanted that like tea experience, then those packages would be better. I guess it really depends on how you travel. I mean, for me, the little package seems easier to carry, but then I think about it, I can also take a small package of the ginger chews. Mm. Um, I don't know. I guess it depends on how you also react when you're nauseous. I'd rather sip a tea versus have something in my mouth. That's true. But hey, whatever works. You have two options, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, when I travel, like, motion sickness is definitely a thing for me, so I usually have ginger in, like, every pocket of every thing that I'm carrying, and yeah, definitely ginger is a must. I usually just have it for emergencies or if I had something to eat that is not making my stomach happy, <laughs> so that, you know, Either the carmative or the antispamotic really, really kicks in at that point. I'm like, yay, thank you. Mm hmm So we should probably explain those words. Yes. I feel yes, like they're yes, second yes. nature for us, but not necessarily for everyone. Um, so there's, so they're kind of the properties of ginger, or like they're words that are used for the properties of herbs in general. So you use carminative yes so that basically means um i want to say it applies to the digestive tract and helps yes. digestion is basically what carminative means it also helps you know remove gas yes mm -hmm. and then antispasmodic 
applies to kind of the digestive, well, in this case, the digestive muscles. Although it kind of applies to all the muscles. I feel like that's why ginger is so relaxing. It's antispasmodic, just means it sort of relaxes the muscles. Mm. And yeah. So that's what, so say you have like, um, like a lot of cramping and, and gas, antispasmodic would kind of just relieve that cramping. And then the carminative aspect would help with the gas. There is another word that right now it is escaping me, but you also hear it as well with ginger, that it helps for the toning of the muscle of the stomach. So like, yes, it helps um, relax it, but it also helps with um, the motions of the gut system, which is, you know what word I'm trying to say? Uh, like contractions of the, the gut, you know, like the different motions. Like a, like a herbal word or the name for the contractions? Name for the contractions. Peristalsis? Yes, thank you. There we go. Yeah, so it would, so that would be the carminative aspect, right? That would be helping with the peristalsis. If I'm I guess, yeah. I mean, my book used it interchangeably all the time. So at one point I must have read it and be like, oh yeah, no, it's different. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then for anyone who doesn't know, peristalsis is basically just that contracting of the digestive muscles to help get things out. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have it, like you have it throughout your stomach and esophagus too. And it's just kind of moving things down by having the muscles contract. Yeah. Awesome. So, and you also talked about diaphoretic. Mm-hmm. So diaphoretic doesn't necessarily apply to the digestive system. Um, that just means it induces sweating. Yeah. Which can be helpful for like you were saying, um, like for when you're sick. Keeping warm. Yeah. Um, and like clearing things out too. Like if you're sick, like sweat's a great way to kind of clear things out. And I think two other words that we should add to it because it will apply to, to ginger as we talk. Gin, uh, it's silagogue, so it creates extra saliva in the mouth. Mm-hmm. And rubefacient. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's when you apply it topically on the skin. Mm-hmm. So, and... I love the word rubefacient because it has like rube in there, which it just means like makes it red. So yeah, when you apply it to the skin, it makes it red. And that's because it's increasing the circulation to that area and you're getting more blood flow to that area. Exactly. But yeah, so ginger is a cialogog. So it creates extra saliva in the mouth, allowing you to break down food easier and allowing for the enzymes in your saliva to break down the stuff and prepare your stomach for digesting it, which again, it greatly helps the digestive system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely there's, there's a reason why everybody kind of knows ginger as the digestive herb, because it does a lot for the digestive system. Mm-hmm. 
And then... And we're talking about it being anti-inflammatory as well. Yes. Which helps with the digestive system, but overall too. And actually, there's some research that shows it... Like, they've actually looked at inflammatory messengers and have found that, like, regular ginger use kind of reduced reduced those inflammatory messengers, so reducing inflammation overall. So it's even been used for things like osteoarthritis. Um, and rheumatoid arthritis. Yes. Yeah, I was reading an article on that, too. Mm-hmm. I said about 10 grams of uh, ginger root or like one gram of powder of the root usually helps, but most people found that having at least half an inch of ginger daily in their any form in their food or drink uh, alleviated a lot of the symptoms and allowed for better mobility. Mm-hmm. And that's, I find this kind of stuff so amazing because it's like you're addressing the symptoms but you're also like the side effects of having ginger to help with pain or mobility is like you're improving your digestive system and you're reducing overall inflammation and it's like yeah it it gets me excited oh no i i agree same to me medicine is food so like food as medicine is the way it should be so by them doing this, they're not only just treating their pain and their joints and all that, increasing the mobility, but anything else they may not realize is going on in their system is improving. Yeah, it's true. There was also a study to show that it kind of works well with so people who have a lot of pain. It works well with Tylenol, not only to reduce the pain, but to manage the side effects of the Tylenol. Yeah, there's Tylenol. Well, any NSAID takes about, I think, a gram of intestinal blood. Oh. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I remember a professor mentioning that, and that's why a lot of people who take any form of NSAIDs end up having a lot of gut issues. And then um, there was a comedian, actually, that did a joke about it. It was uh, about is uh part of my French, Julito. I forget the comedian, but he was talking about how he went to the doctor, he had a problem with his toe, and the doctor told them, you know, here are some meds, they're gonna help, blah blah blah. And then he's like, But I've heard that if I take this medication, I'm gonna develop intestinal problems. And he's like, Yeah, that's a side effect of the medication, which was an end said. Mm. He's like, But what about if I were an athlete? athlete can't you like give me something else he's like you're not an athlete so I don't have to worry about it so it was, it was obviously made as a joke and so mm-hmm. he had to choose over the pain of his toe or having got problems for the rest of his life yeah well I feel mm-hmm. like that's the case with a lot of a lot of medications there's always side effects and yeah you brought up a good point about the NSAID so the NSAID so those are things like Advil um, and I, and they have like a huge effect on the digestive system. A lot of people end up developing ulcers and, and things like that if they take too many. And then yep. things like Tylenol are more, are harder on the liver as opposed to the actual digestive tract. So. 
And where would ibuprofen fall under? Because I know my friend prefers that over anything else. Yeah, so ibuprofen would be, uh, that would be an NSAID, I believe, yes. I believe so too. She just prefers it over the other ones. Yeah, so that would, so in that case, you would want to watch out for stomach things, whereas things like Tylenol or acetaminophen, you want to watch out for liver stuff. And so like someone who had liver issues already would, it wouldn't be a good idea to take Tylenol. In that case, you would, if you, you had to Advil go, for instead. One, go for the Advil or the Ibuprofen. Yeah. <sighs> well, ginger, my friends, ginger. Yeah, or just go for ginger. <laughs> Always try ginger first. If that doesn't work, try the other stuff. Yes. <laughs> but um, as I was looking, it also said that ginger helps with circulation because it, it is a diaphoretic, so it makes you sweat, it stimulates, and allows the blood to flow a little bit better. And that's why people usually use it for low uh, blood circulation, as well as varicose veins, apparently. Mm-hmm. It's true. And in talking about circulation, it also um, helps with lowering the risk of heart disease and help. there's some research to show it can help with diabetes and yeah yeah ginger be good and like mm -hmm. we mentioned that rubefacient rubefacient i keep saying that wrong it, yeah. for people who do have rheumatoid arthritis or in general anybody with like a bit of pain can add it to like make it into a paste and rub it into the area that is sore and it helps alleviate it as well yeah exactly and it's so simple. I'm like, ginger is so cheap mm -hmm. that it's like, yeah, you're you're better off buying like a whole bunch of ginger than like a bottle of an NSAID. I I think. Plus, like NSAIDs just come into little <clears throat> sorry little pills versus ginger. You can have a tea, you can have a candy, you can have any version of ginger any of your favorite food strings etc and still get the effect mm -hmm. i guess we should clarify though i mm -hmm. i feel like sometimes when when we talk about these natural things the expectation is like okay so i just take it and i'm good and while yeah. ginger actually does kind of work like that for nausea i find you take it and the nausea calms down and we're like immediate digestive things like it, it does work pretty quickly but like for things like pain management or heart disease or like chronic things that you've been dealing with for a long time taking a ginger chew is not gonna really make a big dent it's more of like incorporating it into your lifestyle and having yeah. a day or adding it to, to soups or meals or and things like that so it's not like exactly yeah because i find sometimes people will will have that expectation and then it'll be like well it didn't work like the advil does or it didn't work like my painkiller did and it's like no it's not that it's not that quick it's not a ma i mean ginger is magical but it's not magical like that yeah yeah and like there's a reason why there's side effects to those medications and it's because they're working so quick 
you're you're gonna have side effects down the line sort of thing of course and when we're saying this is obviously you have to add it into your lifestyle so yes incorporate in as many of your dishes or different things so some people i know love to chew gum what about if you switched gum for a ginger chew for a little bit you will still be reaching for that gum-like thing, but getting a bit more than just, you know, hurting your stomach via gum. Yeah. Instead, you're promoting intestinal things, intestinal health, and if you have pain, it will alleviate it along the way as you modify your lifestyle. Exactly. And I think, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think a lot of the things like gum or like quick treats and and things like that that we go for these days originally came from like chewing something from nature and like it just became like how do we make this quickly and maximize profit and then that's where the the natural original idea kind of got lost yeah i mean i know of the gum tree I'm thinking of the name in Spanish, but like there is a gum tree and you just take, I believe it's, you pull out the bark and there's like a little, um, there's a sap, but there's like a, that you use for regular gums, but there's like a thin like skin that you can literally peel off and just chew it. And it's exactly Mm. the same thing. And some holistic stores and natural stores, and sometimes don't quote me on this one because it's very rare to find in these Latin stores, but sometimes Latin stores also sell it. Because they want to promote the original gum. And I forget the brand. I'm seeing it in my head, but I forget it. Whenever you buy the package of gum from these guys, it sends money directly to protect the gum trees and people who harvest those gum trees so that it maintains the original purpose of the gum tree and protecting it from being used for paper and stuff. Mm, That's cool. Yeah. And it's. I mean, it dissolves in your mouth eventually. So it's not like our gums where you can chew it for hours and then you you have to toss it out. This one eventually kind of dissolves a little bit. You eventually do toss it out, but like it breaks down a little bit more. Mm. Cool. Yeah, doesn't taste bad. I want to try it now. If you remember the brand, let me know. I will, and I think I still have some. Like the shelf life's pretty long. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, fun fact about ginger. It was um, during the late medieval ages and the beginning of the Renaissance that ginger was used as one of the spices to fight the Black Death. Ah, okay. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense, but like, how efficient was that? I don't know, but it was one of the ones they used. And <laughs> then... Um, I found out that in traditional Chinese medicine, ginger was, has been used since the time of Confucius. Okay, so a long time. So forever and a half, apparently. Yeah. So I don't know, have any of you guys ever tried any of, had you suffered from any of these things and ginger worked for you? Mm-hmm. Have you eaten it in like a chew, a tea, candy? Have you just added it to your meals and that's what, generally helps you along the way yeah or like even traditionally, or, like did any of your grandparents use ginger for everything or yeah 
Wow. I love hearing Let us know. stories. Same. And I mean, I'm not saying go spin around and feel nauseous, but next time you feel nauseous, try having a ginger tea or a ginger chew and let us know if it alleviates the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. What do you prefer, the ginger or the inside? Yeah, and give ginger a fair shot first, especially if it's yes. pain management. Give it some time. Mm-hmm. So off to the culinary part of ginger. Oh, I was so excited for this part. Yeah, this is like oh. your area for sure. Yeah, my bread and butter, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to list off a few things that ginger is really compatible with because I have a flavor Bible. So when I create a new recipe, I check the main ingredients to see what I can combine it to get it the right flavor. Oh, ginger. It's compatible with everything. It is literally compatible with almost anything on the planet, including saffron. I look for the Bible, pages of it, just so much. And I was super excited that it was compatible with saffron as my Persian friend told me that saffron tea with, saffron with jasmine tea is usually really helpful for menstrual cramping. And I was like, ooh, cool. And then I noticed that saffron and ginger match really well together. And I was like, oh my God. This is perfect. It will stop the cramping and I will get the extra benefit. Awesome. So I'm I'm really excited for, you know, next month when I'm not gonna put ginger and saffron together. I I'm never really excited for that time of the month, but I know I now I am. Say, that's rare. You're excited for, for cramp time. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's test this out. <laughs> Cause I mean the saffron has worked. It really does decrease the the pain sensation so I know ginger works I'm excited for this little experiment yeah yeah I've mm. never really used like I've used saffron in cooking but I it's not one of my go-tos medicinally but now I, I feel like I might have to try it out a little bit more when I was researching like ginger I believe like two pages over there was saffron so I was debating about spending time reading it. I was like, no, no, no. Maybe if I talk to Felicia, we can do like a couple herbs here and there. And maybe we can sneak saffron in there. Because my friend did mention that. And her whole family, because she's from the Middle East, they use saffron for that as well. I mean, I don't know how jasmine tea would I mean, the jasmine is digestive. So I guess it must have similar properties to ginger. And that's why they combine it for the cramping part. I'm down for jasmine, ginger, saffron tea. Yeah. Let me know how that goes. I might try it too. I mean, I might as well just make myself one today. Just try it for the flavor. Mm-hmm. So like, honestly, originally I had this whole idea of how I was going to do this section. But then once I saw that ginger is really pretty much goes with anything and everything, I was like, well, thank you, ginger. You kind of ruined my, my plants. So I changed it up and I decided to do a little bit about the history of ginger and how it became so popular and why we discovered it matches so nicely with everything. Yeah. Because it's kind of like back to what we were talking about, tomatoes and potatoes. We associate it with certain cultures. And I was like, wait, what about if ginger actually didn't originate in Asia? Like, 
I'm sorry, but my mind was well, like, yeah, that ginger originated in Asia. Don't be stupid. But at the same time, I was like, wait, wait, wait. What about if it didn't? Just if. Well, yeah, I, I know you probably have the answer, but just thinking about it, I'm like, I, I feel like different countries have their own variations of ginger. And it probably originated in all those countries. I don't know. Well, I need to, I'm curious to hear the answer. <laughs> I'm also thinking. <laughs> I know, I, honestly, it I got me thinking. I was like, okay, what countries actually use it? And I started listing a bunch of countries. I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's really popular in the dishes. But I was like, wait, would they grow this there? It just, I don't know, for some reason, something didn't click 100%. I was like, I need to know. Yeah, so what did you find? So it's originally from Southeastern Asia, so India and China mainly. Okay, and that's the... So we weren't wrong. Okay. Yeah, so it's... uh, Because it is from the area that was used commonly in their diet, in ancient China and India as well in the Middle Eastern, it became also part of their literature, so they incorporated not just in their food, but in the poetic forms, in uh, their medicine and different things because of their medicinal properties, the culinary taste, and its aromatic properties. So you could put like ginger kind of in the form of incense. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was a huge part of not just food and medicine. It was a daily life kind of thing. It was ingrained in their culture. And it was first imported by the Romans, ancient Romans, into China, from China. Oh, my God, me and words today. Mm-hmm. So imported from ancient Romans to China over 2,000 years ago. And that's where it started to gain a bit of popularity, but it, they liked it so much, they kept it to themselves. So it stayed mainly in the Mediterranean until the 9th century. Okay. I was like, okay, yeah, no, I get it. I would keep ginger to myself, too. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine being like the, like not having any exposure to ginger and then finding it, the forest or wherever they found it, and like I, I feel just like smelling it. I don't know. I feel like every time I smell ginger, like there, it has like a very uplifting effect. Like just smelling it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that would be like super exciting. But- I don't know. I don't think the soldiers or travelers would be like, oh, something smells nice. Let me pick it up. Maybe they have done that and that's how we discover things. But I feel it was mostly along the lines of, oh, we're doing trade with China. Wow, there's something really yummy in this dish. Can you give me the recipe? And then they'd be like, oh, Ginger, what is this? Or somebody got sick and then they're like, oh, they're having tummy troubles. What do we do? Here, have some ginger. We ran out of our medicine. Let's try some of theirs. Or like you were saying, because it smells good, they could have gone into a room or a hotel where they were staying the night. And it's like, oh, it smells nice. What are you using? Aside from regular incense, like ginger. Yeah, I feel like that's that's how most people would have discovered it. But I'm just like, I, and there's probably no way of knowing what the, like, no. the, like, being, having never, like, who was the first person who was like, Let's use ginger, like, let's use this plant for this, you know? I mean, it must have been kind of like the wild ginger and just grew in a large patch somewhere in China or India. 
and either the person was trying to like garden or farm something and they were like what is this it smells good let's eat it kind of like when sometimes something's growing in your garden you're like it looks like the plant i have like a herb i have somewhere else did it just grow somewhere else or is it dangerous who knows let me chew it yeah that's i mean true. please don't do that people but <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> At your own risk. At my own risk. There's this one plant we had that looked like rhubarb, but it was all green. And my mom's like, I don't think it's rhubarb. I'm like, it looks like rhubarb. So I cut it open. Smell it. it smells like rhubarb. I tried it. And she just looks at me. She's like, you're going to die. I'm like, I'm fine. Don't worry. It tastes like rhubarb. Must be some form of rhubarb. And then she's like, no, we're getting it out of here. Then eventually I find out there is wild rhubarb, which is green. Oh, was it, it wasn't burdock, was it? I don't think so. Okay, because burdock basically looks like a green rhubarb. Then maybe it is. And people and just I call it wild rhubarb. I I, th- I feel people, I feel like that's a name for, for burdock, wild. I mean, let me look it up. I mean, burdock's not, you know, bad for you, so. No, it's great for you. Well, yeah. then, uh, you know, I chewed a bit and survived. <laughs> Common burdock is known as wild rhubarb. So it was burdock. My mom made me get rid of it. Sadness. <laughs> um, it It is, once it's established, though, it's like the root is actually really helpful for, for liver stuff. Um, but mm. it's hard to dig up. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was really ready. hard to remove. Yeah. And though I'm saying it's probably going to come back. Ah. Now you'll know what it is. Yeah, I'd be like, Mom, don't kill it. It's good for you. <laughs> we can make tea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because ginger was originally from Asia and they imported it from Asia. It was rather an expensive spice. I mean, just considering the distance between Italy and China, well, no duh, right? And this is like me yeah. thinking airplane back then what was it like a horse and carriage boat i feel like would you have to take a boat yeah maybe yeah you could take a boat because venice was one of the biggest trading ports for uh, most of the spices in asia but i mean venice wasn't a thing back then so both boat and transport via horse and carriage to meet somewhere in the middle east and take ginger so at least it had to pass through a few caravans. Yeah. Yeah. So it was rather expensive. So people loved it. It was in high demand, but not a lot of people could afford it. And again, I'm not surprised it was in such high demand. Like we were talking about the medicinal properties and the fact it goes well with everything in food. So when the Americas were being colonized, the Spanish explorers introduced ginger to the West Indies, Mexico, and the rest of South America in an attempt to make it more available. They did succeed, and by the 16th century, they were able to export a bunch of ginger back to Europe for a cheaper price. And then that's when it really boomed in Europe and became almost as popular as salt and pepper at the table. Mm. Mm. And so I have another little fun fact for you guys. In the 19th century, English pubs would, and taverns would have like a little small dish with ground ginger on the side so the people could sprinkle it into their beers. And that's the original of ginger beer or ginger ale. 
Ah. Cool. Yeah. Now I feel like ginger beer is a is more of a process where it's like fermented. Yeah, obviously ginger beer and ginger ale have become completely different from what your original intent of it was, but mm. whatever. I like ginger ale and ginger beer the way it is. Yeah. Well, Do you know the top producers of it? Like of ginger? No. So Jamaica, India, Fiji, Indonesia, and Australia. Oh, interesting. I was hoping to see China on here, but it's not. They were like, okay, we discovered it. Now everybody else go produce it. They were like, uh, you guys can have ginger. We have tea. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I mean, for me, ginger is great. It's culinary-wise. It goes well with everything. You can mix it with fruits and vegetables and add it into smoothie or a juice. You can also like cut it up, like slice it, mince it, julienne it, and add it to any dish you want. Obviously, the potency changes based on where you put it. So if you want a more subtle taste, you add it at the beginning. If you want a bit of a more kick, you add it near the end, similar to what you would do with garlic. As for... um. Picking out your ginger, which I find sometimes when we go into grocery stores, we just pick the first thing we see. But if you want to get the best out of your food, you want to make sure you know how to pick it. So picking out your ginger, you want to make sure that it's not too young or too mature. The more mature, the tougher the skin and the more fibrous the flesh. And you're probably going to need a paring knife to um, peel the skin off of that. The young ginger, the one that you actually don't have to peel the skin for is hard to find and often it's more in the Asian markets which I'm like oh that's cool a ginger you don't have to like you know scrape the skin off that's cool mm-hmm. but we are usually more at least in at the rest of our grocery stores you will most likely find the more mature ginger I don't like using a paring knife I prefer using the back of a spoon as it wastes less of the ginger but I know some people don't like the smell so there's that but when you're looking for it, make sure it looks bronze and it should be fresh looking. So no signs of decay, such as soft spots, mildew, or that the skin is not dry and wrinkly. Make sure it's really firm, smooth to the touch, and obviously free of mold. You can also store the ginger in your fridge and it will last you up to three weeks if it's unpeeled. And if you're going to choose the dry ginger, try going for the organically grown ones as they're less likely to have ir- irritated. And obviously store it in a glass container in cool, dry, dark spaces. And it's suggested that you use it up before the six months. Um, What else can I give you guys? Well, aside from, you know, obviously being useful for everything, if you ever want to spice up your ginger tea, you can add a little bit of lemon, nutmeg and cardamom to give it extra flavors, Mm -hmm. and it tastes amazing. And right now that it's summer, lemonade is popular, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, make it more of a ginger, iced ginger tea with lemon and mint, and it will give you a nice, refreshing feel of a lemonade, but also with other properties and Ooh, a little ginger and different mint. Taste. Mm-hmm. I don't I've ever done that. Sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. <sighs> ginger and mint. I don't think I've ever done that. That would, that's like perfect neutral combo. I feel like. I quite like it. Honestly, it's 
it's great. You boil a nice big pot, throw in some ginger, steep it, then like put it in the fridge to cool, add some lemon, and throw in some mint and ice cubes, and you're done. I mean, you can add a little bit of sweetener, so like honey, stevia, maple syrup, whatever you prefer. But on its own, it's great too. It's really refreshing. Mm. And for those of us who like to spike things, yes, you can spike that one too. And it tastes great. I'm going to have to try that. Mm-hmm. And then another one is, so I don't know if anybody knows what furikake is, but it's like this little powder that you can add to your rice. It's Japanese. And it allows plain rice to become more flavorful or have more nutrients without having to cook it with either like stock or add herbs while it's cooking. It's like more, you make your plain rice and add the stuff afterwards, especially if you're making like onigiri, so you're putting it on the side for a bento. So what you can do is you have your plain rice, you grate about half a teaspoon of like ginger, throw in some sesame seeds and nori flakes, and bam, instant furikake. It tastes good. Yes, the ginger will be a bit more of on the stronger side because it's raw, it's not cooked. But if you have it when the rice is still warm, it's not as strong. It tones it down a little bit. Obviously, if that's not up to your standards, there's also um, half a teaspoon of grated ginger, two tablespoons of rice vinegar, a tablespoon of tamari, four tablespoons of sesame oil. You mash um, one clove of garlic, shake it up in a bottle, and you've got an instant yummy salad dressing. You can also drizzle that over your rice and it tastes great. And one of my favorites is actually a teaspoon of grated ginger with two tablespoons of maple syrup, two cups of sweet potato puree. It's great mm. as a side dish, or you could have it as a dessert or a snack similar to applesauce. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's really yummy. I mean, sweet potato has a lot of properties. I use the amber maple syrup, so it still contains a lot of the minerals. Yeah. It's great, especially for like Thanksgiving. That sounds like the perfect Thanksgiving side dish. Right? And for those of us who enjoy our stir fry, obviously you do add ginger to it, but if you want to give it the extra kick, about one teaspoon per cup of veggie while you're cooking, like literally add the one cup of veggies with your one teaspoon of ginger. For that vegetable, take it out and then the next one, it gives it a stronger kick, but not too strong. It just gives it a nice flavor and all your veggies are coated in ginger. Mm. Do you have a favorite ginger dish? Um, I add ginger basically to lots of things. Same. I don't know if I have a favorite. I really like it in stir fries for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I like adding it to smoothies. Same. I find that that's really good, especially especially if I'm making a smoothie in the winter, which is yeah, it would rare. totally warm you up. Yeah, um, I I don't like having cold drinks in the winter, so if I am gonna have a cold drink, I'll add like ginger to it and cinnamon and and all of those kind of warming spices mm. um, yeah i i've been meaning to try the 
the candy ginger you were telling me about. I feel like that would be really good. It's a little strong, but it's good. Like, mm-hmm. it's not, when you think candy, you think automatically the super sweet stuff. But it ginger keeps this little, like, kick. Mm-hmm. It's not like the Hawthorne berry candy. Man, I could eat that for a life. I've been told Hawthorne berries are, like, tough. And yes, even when they're coated with sugar, it's really hard to crack into them. I'm like, I'm going to lose a tooth one day. But, um... Wait a minute. Hawthorne berry candies. You yeah. find them, like, the coolest things that I've heard of. I didn't know that. My friends thing. are multicultural, so I get exposed to a lot of stuff. That's amazing. Where do you find these Hawthorne berry candies? Because I want some. TNT. Okay. Like Asian markets. I don't find the berry itself. I don't know where my Taiwanese friends got it from because the first time she introduced it to us, it was literally uh, three Hawthorne berries all in sugar coated on a stick, which is the way apparently it's really common to be sold even in ancient China. Interesting. And um, she's like, yeah, it's going to be tough to crack into it. I was like, oh, okay. I bite it. I was like, cool. It is tough to crack into these things, but it was great. I loved it. It's a little sour, but it's also sweet. And I remember my um, herbal medicine instructor would say the Hawthorne berries taste like bad. And I was like, well, man, if this is good for my heart and you give it to me like this, heck yeah, I'm having it. So I tried finding it and I found it like more like the fr- uh, fruit roll-ups, I think, you know, like the pulp. The dry oh, okay. Pulp. Yeah. I found it like that. I found it kind of like in the form of like chews. I can't read the Korean Chinese uh, boxes so I kind of just feel the packaging and be like oh this one feels a little more solid or this one feels like the fruit roll-ups doesn't always work but you can read the little sign that says Hawthorne candies and that's all that matters to me it's seasonal so it's not always there mm. I need mm. to I feel like I need to get more adventurous every time we do one we should just podcast. go together yeah yeah totally Every time we do one of these podcasts, you, like, talk about some new cool food, and I'm like, wait, that exists? I need to find it. Literally, honestly, I would go to a festival in Asia and be like, you got Hawthorne berries? That's all I'm eating for the rest of the night. (laughs) I mean, obviously, the sugar would probably give you diabetes, but hey, my heart's safe. (laughs) Uh, It balances, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> just to have some more ginger to, to help with the diabetes. <laughs> I'll just have, like, my Hoffenberries carry around my ginger, just grate it on top of things and be like, yep, this is my new treat, guys. <laughs> I guess I would have to go in this winter because summer would be death with all the heat and the ginger. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, just like you, I often experiment with ginger. I don't know if anybody else does as well. And if you find it that it tastes better in one dish over another, whether you add it at the beginning or at the end, or if you have a specific favorite ginger dish, let us know. Yeah, yeah if you have any recipes to share with us, we'd love to hear mm-hmm. it. So I have a question for you. When is it like not appropriate to use ginger? Uh, that's a hard question. I want to say- I know, that. right? I want to say say never. I want to say it's always appropriate to use ginger. But I feel like 
I mean, like when we were looking, when we were writing things, I was like, nah, there can't possibly be a point in time when ginger's not good for you. Yeah, but then I, I mean, found, it's, it's good for yeah. kids. It's, it's good for kids. It's good in pregnancy. Uh, you can literally take it before you're born till the day you die, and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like I don't think. I mean, it Most might of- interact with some medications in that make them more effective, like like for things like blood pressure and stuff like that. Ooh, I did not think of that. Um, but if you bring any- up a really good point. But even then, huh. it's so gentle. Exactly. Yeah. It wouldn't be like, boom, super effective. Yeah, I just uh, double-checked in my natural medicines database. And for adverse effects, it says it's well-tolerated when used in typical doses. I mean, the only thing I found was that it can aggravate if you have kidney stones. Really? Especially if they're like... Yeah, because um, ginger contains a lot of uh, oxalate, and if your kidney stones are oxalate-based, it can aggravate it. Uh, okay. I feel like you'd need to take a lot, though. But oh, I know. Me too. But I guess they just want to put it out there in case people are using it for everything or including it in everything in their diet. Or unless the kidney stones are really, really bad and anything could set it off. Yeah. I don't know. That was the only thing I I could find. Yeah, that yeah, it's basically good in, in all scenarios. I did find there was a report of of um of like a rash on the skin. Mm-hmm. So I mean that's something to look forward for. Obviously if you have an allergy to ginger then it well, might yes. not be good for you. Um, but I feel like allergies to ginger are quite rare too. It was definitely not in my top 10. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> definitely. Strawberries was, which I forgot, but not ginger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then in terms of, so gin- ginger helps thin the blood. So if you're on like, anti or anticoagulant medications, it would make them more effective. So you, you might have to reduce the doses of that, which I don't think is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just something to be aware of. And then, yeah, a couple of the blood pressure medications, uh, diabetes medication, but again, it's because it's helping with the diabetes, so you would need less medication. It's not so much like it's causing problems, it's actually helping you take less of medication. Exactly. And that's the case for like all, like for the, for the bleeding conditions and the heart condition, like it's, it's because it's improving the condition, so you need less medication. Yeah. So just being aware of that and working with, your health team on that. But Making sure they know and yeah. they can modify the dosage as needed. Exactly. 
Okay. So now it's your time to shine. Tell us all about the wild ginger and how we can harvest some if we find it. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I jumped the gun on that already. <laughs> I, it gets me so excited. Um, but yeah, so the wild ginger, like I said, it's a different species. Um, so the wild ginger that we have in Canada, so it's actually native to Canada. So that's kind of why it, it's, I mean, I guess the Zingiber aficionalis, mm-hmm. like the one that we're all used to, um, has been now like cultivated and like produced to like a certain size and stuff that we like. But I find it kind of funny that like they were all like transporting this ginger around and and bringing it to different countries. And like, I mean, if you don't know that you have it in your own country, I feel like there's like variations of ginger, at least like that taste and some of the properties um, in different countries. So like in our country, we have like we are we always had ginger. But it was this wild ginger, so it wasn't the one that that you buy in the grocery store. For sure, and I like they say, sometimes what you need in your for your health is growing right in your backyard. Nature knows. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, I I first heard about wild ginger a couple years ago, maybe a few years ago now. Um, but I live right near the Bruce Trail. Mm-hmm. And my friend's mom was like, oh, there's like, there's a lot of hidden gems like right across from your house in the forest. And at that point I hadn't like, I had just started my garden and I had like just started getting familiar with how plants grow and all of that. Um, and I was like, why you just like go to the forest and find things? And she's like, yeah. And so she showed me the wild ginger and it was so exciting to find because like you, she pulled it up and it's just like a leaf with like a pretty flower on it. It has like a, a like little purple flower on it in the spring. And okay. Like, okay, that's, that's cool. And then as soon as you break it, you smell the ginger and it's just like, like that uplifting ginger smell and like plus with having found it in the wild it was just so exciting it was a magical moment for you it was it really was um and then i tried to plant it in my backyard but it didn't work out oh i've been trying every year since i found it because i mean it's right across the street from me so it's easy enough to get to and it grows pretty it grows pretty well in the forest. The first year I planted it in a sunny spot, which it grows in the forest where there's shade. So I don't think it was too happy there. So it didn't take. And then this year, this year I planted it and I think a squirrel dug it up. No. Just like went missing and there was a hole left behind. So I'm not really sure what happened there, but I'm thinking it was a squirrel. Um, So yeah, one day, one day I'll get it planted in my garden. It was funny though. Put it like in a small like pot. Yeah, yeah, I might try that. It was funny though because I, when I was doing my forest walks, I 
showed a group the wild ginger and one of the one of the girls on the forest walk um ended up planting it in her garden and like three years later now she's like yeah it comes back every year I'm like oh you got it and i didn't Lucky. <laughs> but yeah one day and then it has a lot of the same the same properties as the ginger we're used to so um, I find though this one seems like it's like it definitely has less research on it like if any so mm -hmm. all the knowledge around it comes just from traditional traditional knowledge and um, it seems like it's used a lot more for respiratory issues which like the ginger the gingerbread the one that we're used to can be too because like you said it's it's a diaphoretic it's it promotes sweating it also kind of helps with inflammation so things like asthma it would be helpful for mm -hmm. um, uh, this one seems to be used a lot more for for things like asthma coughs colds but then it, it's also used for digestive stuff and and menses and and all of that what i find interesting about this though is for the skin stuff instead of using the actual root they used the leaf huh interesting mm -hmm. um which i feel like would be more gentle than the root so i mean i feel like if you're someone who has sensitive skin it might be nicer to use like a fresh leaf poultice instead of a ginger root yeah and yeah uh, that's that's pretty much it it it's pretty much can be used the same way as as ginger as ginger yeah it it is a lot smaller like because it hasn't been cultivated for like the purpose of eating it and like doing all the stuff that we do with it it is it's smaller and like you get less of it but it still has like similar properties it's like a pinky in size right yeah yeah if you get like a mature one um and so it's kind of more like turmeric size on a regular basis then uh the ones that i've seen are like and again i i don't know i if I've gotten mature ones, I'm still not like that that there with my experience to know like which one is the best one to take. But mm -hmm. the ones I've gotten are even smaller than turmeric. Like wow. Okay, I'm going for a hike today, so I'm gonna be on the lookout for these. Yeah. My whole family's gonna be like, "What is wrong with you? What What are you pulling out of the ground?" Like ginger. Yeah um i don't i've only i've only ever seen it in this area here mm -hmm. i haven't come across it anywhere else but well i'll let you know if there's any at rattlesnake point yeah let me know um mm -hmm. yeah it's it's cool to like find these things just growing in the wild which i mean that's where they started from and that's yeah. where they came from originally but 
yeah. we just modify things a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's Wild Ginger. I'm trying to think if there was anything else I wanted to say about it. Um, I think that's it. Well, if anybody else knows where you can find it, any trails, let us know. We won't harvest a lot, but I would also like to have one in my backyard. Yeah. It would be nice to, you know, cultivate it a little bit and see how it goes. Actually, they do even sell it on um, OntarioNativePlants.com. What? They sell it, yeah. I saw it. I saw it when I was looking stuff up. They added mm-hmm. to their list of things that they sell. Well, I mean, there's that way too. Mm-hmm. But it would be nice to, like, you know, walk around the forest and be like, that's wild ginger. This is the plantain one that I forgot the name. But, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, the greater plantain. Yes. That is all over my garden right now. My mom's like, we need to get rid of these weeds. I'm like, no. I that's like good it. for you. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. And let us know, guys, if you like this one and we should do a bit more on, like, herbs and different plants instead of sticking to, like, cardiovascular and things. I mean, obviously, we'll try to cover as many things as we can, but if you like this, we can do a couple more episodes just mainly focus on herbs and roots. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like this was a lot of fun. Our podcasts are always fun for me. I know. We learned so much, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let us know. And I guess that's all of our ginger talk for today. Uh-huh. And we'll be back next week to talk about relationships with a special guest. Mm-hmm. And you can rate, comment, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And invite your friends to join our community and improve their health. You can follow us on our social media, Sweet Nutritionista and Alicia Senza ND. We'll be posting, for the most part, once a week. Um, Yeah, we'll attempt it. Yeah. But thanks for joining us, and see you next time. Happy healing.